So, so is there is there a point? Because I'm I'm struggling with this question too. Is there a point where, in its best sense, patriotism shifts the nationalism? What 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 is that point? Is it a, is it a slow moving turn? Is it a like you know we got points on a checkbox we can check off? Patriotism and militarism are very similar. Yeah, like yeah. We, even when we talk about patriotism we immediately troops come into the discussion and wars come to mind, which is where the flag discussion comes in too, right? Welcome to episode 109 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation of life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverend Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holder, and Brian Burkoff address and exchange. Engage. We're not exchanging anything. We're engaging. I don't have my glasses on, you guys. Um, What's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand? Um, we, we exchange. We exchange ideas. We exchange. Oh. I'm also exchanging this font for a bigger one. There you go. Uh, <laughs> parenting tips, all that good stuff. You can show your love for Pub Theology Live by becoming a supporter on Patreon. <laughs> Dip your toes in at the shot glass level. We got pints, we got growlers. There's all kinds of rewards. You can get yourself some live swag, keep the show rolling, and you will also be able to hear some exclusive content that we are in the midst of creating for you want to give shout out to listen since we since we did this last time we have doubled we've doubled doubled our support doubled our support do that again y'all could write a book i know right doubled our support so thank you julie and thank you sean our newest, our, our newest Patreon supporter. Uh, so, listen, if we double every week, I mean, right? It's like that okay. thing with the penny, right? Like you double it every week, and then there, there you go. You're a millionaire you before you know it. Yeah. Um, so check us out at Patreon.com/slash/ptlive, and we appreciate your support. You can also join our conversation on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag #ptlive. Follow us at Pub Theology on these platforms and check out video clips from the show on IGTV or just watch us on YouTube for extra content. You can leave us a voicemail at 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. Feel free to email us at info at pubtheology.com for any questions or comments or discussion. And today we will be talking about nationalism versus patriotism, you know, stuff in the headlines. Uh, is war ever justified? And a couple other things. And at this point, you've noticed you haven't heard the sultry tones of Ryan Berghoff. He's got some uh, um, family issues that came up, so he's not able to join us for the recording today. But in his absence, we are going. We are being joined by you know another token white male because you know we got to keep the patriarchy alive uh 
Pastor Hugh Hollowell. He's a community pastor at Open Door Mennonite Church in Jackson, Mississippi, where he's helping to build a peace and justice center. And you can find out all you need to know about him at hughhollowell.org. And later in the program, we'll be getting a little more specific about some of the things that he does. Welcome to the show, Hugh. Hey, I'm glad to be here. And, uh, you know, I- I'll try to be more sultry. Um, <laughs> So I, <laughs> I mean, some people find the Southern sultry, so, you know. Right. That. Exactly. I mean, I'm convinced that God talks like we do down here. Like like uh, the South. Like the South, right. Yeah. Um, you're, I don't know about sultry in the South, but definitely more humid, so there's, there's <laughs> that. I don't, I don't know if that's appealing to anyone or not. Um, but uh, he's, he's been on the program a few times, so if you want to hear more from him, on Pub Theology Live, scroll through our archives. If I was really prepared and professional, I'd have had those episodes numbers ready for you, but... No, nobody that, expects that from us. That didn't happen. At least not for me. At least the not key, for me. The key is expectation management. You yes. know? It, it is. It, it, it is. And people know not to expect a, a whole lot from me. I mean, Shannon, Shannon, Shannon can be the, you know, keep us on track kind of taskmaster um in a good way person brian organizes a lot of the things behind the scenes i'm real i'm really just here for the comedy and dead weight i mean that's it and the comedy is questionable at best so you know i i don't know that's that's how it goes but what are we drinking today folks what do you got going on hugh uh i have a because it is 35 degrees here um which is uncommonly cold for mississippi i i have a Latte glass filled with community coffee brewed in Louisiana or, or roasted in Louisiana and brewed here in my kitchen. Nice. Wait, is it really 35 or are you just exaggerating? No, it's, I think it's 35 or 36. It's like really cold outside. I'm in Boston and it's 52. So yeah, that's I know. Weird. <laughs> yeah, we have some kind of freak storm front coming through. It's been raining for a week. So, wow. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. What are you drinking, Shannon? So I've got some um, hot apple cider and some um, a small bottle, a tiny little airplane bottle, because I was in Kentucky last week and bought some Old Forester. So here's a little my little bourbon bottle in my hot apple cider mug that says there's a chance this might be bourbon. So <laughs> nice. Perfect. Is that what you they know. call a hot toddy? Is that a hot toddy? Is no, a hot toddy okay. is just the liquor and water with like a little bit of lemon. It's just, learn, learn something every day. Yeah. This is just cider and bourbon, which is also delicious. Gotcha. Um, I got gloomy weather here too. Well, we're all on the... I yeah, we're, we're all on, on this, you know. Are we on the Eastern Seaboard? Where's Mississippi? I don't know my guess. No, not Mississippi. Mississippi's on the Gulf Coast. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. I'm closer this- to Texas than I am Florida. But it's the same, it's the same it's a yeah. that's affecting you, that's affecting us up here in the mid-Atlantic and Northeast. I'm Clown Shoes, the chocolate sombrero, and I got to show you the can because that oh, like, nice. luchador, luchador rustler. He's, got, he's got four arms. He's got four Not arms. like four arms. He's got four <laughs> arms. As in one more than three. Exactly. <laughs> four arms. I, I love the artwork on, on Clown Shoes. Um, so, uh, uh, get that opened up there. Easy there. So as we all know, everyone's favorite, um, comic book creator, Stanley passed away, um, this past weekend. Was it yesterday? It was just yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, 95 years old. 
Um, as one dark comedian tweeted, he had it coming. Um, but ouch! Uh, yeah, wow. too soon. Um, you didn't have to repeat that, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was hilarious myself, but uh, he will be he will be sorely missed. And and you know the sad part of his story was uh, f- for those of us a little too obsessed with him. You know, people close to him who had um, were were really taking advantage of his estate and robbing him and just the whole thing. Yeah. He'd been struggling for a while. He he yeah. he had he had been. Um, so we 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 honor the legacy that he was and the inspiration of imagination. And that's our opening question in honor of Stanley. What is your favorite Marvel character or team? Um, preferably one that he created. He didn't create all of them, but the vast majority of them, especially the earlier uh, or the longer run in characters he created. So what's your favorite character or team? Jenna. Oh, um, so I have, um, I, I would say Spider-Man. Um, and I have this theory, like I didn't grow up with comics, but I, um, have this habit of falling in love with nerds and I am also a nerd, but in not the comic book way until I became an adult. Right. But I had, I started to have this theory of if you were a comic book you know, it didn't matter your gender, but if you were a comic book person as a child, you had a preferred um, character. Mm -hmm. And um, if you did not grow up with them and you fell in love with one, I have found that I fall in love with people who love Spider-Man, something about their, their personal character. So um, apparently mine is Spider-Man. There you go. (laughs) But I do love, I do love Spider-Man. I, I feel like so growing up as a kid uh, I loved Spider-Man um, the uh, I, uh, when I was a little kid there was the, the, the animated Spider-Man mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to sing the song but you know that you know that Spider-Man Spider-Man does whatever a spider- Spider-Man Spider-Man does whatever yeah, Spider-Man right yeah. And it was very it's jazzy. Yeah. It had like this jazz <laughs> kind of beat to it. Um, Look out! Yeah. Right. Uh, and um, so I, I grew up with that. Like I grew up in a real rural area, so we didn't have uh, huge comic book stores. But at the drugstore, there was always uh, a rack of comics. And, and Spider-Man was mainstream enough that it made it there. Uh, but as an adult, um, I... I kind of vacillate between, uh, oh, good, that means like go between two points. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For those of you listening to the audio stream, uh, you got to check out the, uh, the, the pre-show video. The pre-show banter. And, and that whole thing will make sense right there. <laughs> so, um, but I, I tend to vacillate between Captain America and the Hulk. Mm. Because Captain America represents like the best of humanity, right? Like he's he's like human turned up to eleven, right? Uh, with all of the the like Boy Scout like good, um, he's he's better than we are. He's faster than we are. He's more physically perfect. He's like represents the best of what we could be, and I feel like the Hulk 
represents like our our id that's just like unleashed right like he rep i often i feel like the hulk but wish i was captain america <laughs> see i would i i would i would totally agree with that right so as much as i'm like i fall in love with men that love spider-man like i am the hulk yeah like, like that right. just yeah um, you know, the, the, we we have She-Hulk. She's her own standalone. She-Hulk is her own standalone character. Yes. So, so true story. In high school, or like like junior high, I had like a major crush on She-Hulk. Nice. Like the She-Hulk comics. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, uh, and I I bought all the She-Hulk comics. But um, that's gonna need further exploration that we may not have time for. I think I think that's for his therapist. Well, let's just point out that, like, when I was in junior high, I had pretty much a crush on every woman who walked me. So, oh, okay. Well, in all fairness, in, all, in, all, in full disclosure, what um, what junior high boy didn't? I so, mean, this is true. I, I I understand. I understand. Um, be, be, before I share mine, a couple of responses from Facebook. Um, Zane also going with Spider Man and the West Coast Avengers. Um, oh, I forgot about them. Yeah. Uh, Tommy is exciting with Daredevil and Kristen Wayne in with S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so growing up, my two favorite were uh, Daredevil and Iron Man. And I loved Iron Man because he, I mean, what was the superpower, right? Money. He didn't have, he didn't have some like innate trait that gave him super strength or invulnerability or anything like that. He, he was human inside that armor. And so for me, you know, again, the billions notwithstanding, he was the first. You relate to him? <laughs> well, he was the first character that was like, hey, I'm, I, I, I'm just a human being, like fully yeah. human here. Um, so anything's possible, I guess. It doesn't, it doesn't take powers to be a superhero. He's like Marvel's Batman. In a sense, yes. yes. He is Marvel's um, Batman. In, in a sense, yes. Um, I, I also want to give a shout out to Thor. Like, I so I actually got introduced to Thor through Adventures and Babysitting. Oh yeah, right. Because the girl I she like wears the Thor stuff everywhere she goes mm -hmm. and is obsessed with Thor. And I was like, who is this? What is she talking about? And like looked into it and I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And he traveled in a rainbow, which was you know super awesome as a kid. And, you there you know, go. Whatever, but yeah. So I need to give a shout out to Thor there. Shout out to Thor, and um, I like Daredevil as well. Um, the you know superhero with disability, granted mm -hmm. height and other senses, but I always thought that was pretty cool. So those I stuck with for a while. Um, I think I phased out of comics, and then you know in our recent resurgence. And when you look at comics now, you know give Marvel credit for things like diversity and inclusivity. You know, yes. you mentioned Captain America, and those of you who not watching the video got my Captain America shirt hanging behind me in tribute. Um, you know, Captain America is now black because Falcon took over the role. Um, Iron Man, there's also, there's now a not a version, but another character who is a young black woman, like late teens, early twenties, who is apparently. 10 times as smart as Tony Stark and without the billions built her own armor. So we got that going on. Thor's now a woman as well um, in, in the series. So there's Marvel has never seemed at least, you know, in the last decade or so shied away from introducing 
diversity and kind of kind of shifting our perspective of what a hero is, which when you look at it, is everyone. Well, and Stanley's been doing that since the 60s. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. I mean, the whole like, uh, there were a cast of black superheroes that got introduced in the 60s. Yeah. Um, black Panther, of course, but also there was like Black Goliath was another one. There were several. Um, yeah. Um, so safe home, uh, Stanley, and thank you for keeping a lot of us, especially junior high slash middle school boys, out of trouble, I think. <laughs> And in some cases, maybe a little more lustful than we needed to be. I don't know, but. Listen, one of my favorite memories of my children is Gus at three years old, went to the grocery store. There was about, you know, several weeks that he would not take off his Spider-Man costume. Well, there you go. And he would go to the grocery store and everybody would greet him as if he was Spider-Man. And I, I think that that's, that's part of the beauty of the legacy, right? Like, that a three-year-old can walk up and down the aisles of the grocery store and every person pass them going, hey, Spider-Man, what's going on? And, and it, it brings generations together. My daughter, you know, she loves, you know, now that, I mean, it's now, you know, Marvel Universe and Marvel movies, but she is 100% into all of them. Right. And it's because, you know, and Daredevil on Netflix and, you know, Luke Cage. Um, it, it's become a bonding experience for us to go watch these together for me to tell her about the comics and how things are different than in the comic books. And um, so, yeah, it, I, I think it transcends, it transcends. Absolutely. All the stuff. Um, speaking of being transcendent or president <laughs> is uh, once again, <laughs> once again, uh, you know, we, 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 I don't words feel me. Um, it was recently Veterans Day, and um, there was a memorial service in France for the um, honoring World War One, the the war, World War One, the original World War, and the the Great War, the Great War, war to and, end all wars, and, and, right? <laughs> the war to end all wars. That's what that it was, was called. Yeah. Did no one tell the folks in World War Two? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, like, yeah. And he made headlines not just for apparently not showing up to the service because, quote unquote, it was raining. Um, but, you know, but but as my daughter reminded me, you might give him a pass. We see he's not good with umbrellas. Remember that video? He's trying to board Air Force One with the umbrella and it was just it just fell apart. The whole thing was a mess. Um, so, yeah, he made headlines for that. But then there was also the speech by the French president, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, I think it's safe to say the bromance between those two is over um, because he called, he basically called out the president while mm-hmm. he's um, sitting there at another event. Um, and he, his quote is this, uh, patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism by saying our interest first, who cares about the others? We erase what a nation holds dearest what gives it life, what makes it great, what is essential, its moral values. So the question I'm bringing to you guys is really what, what is that difference for you as you hear this? Are these terms in your view kind of really being used accurately as Macron described them? Is nationalism really getting too much of a bad rap? Does patriotism get 
a bad rap these days as well. Uh, where, where are we standing with this stuff? So there's, uh, I got to go around to get there. Uh, so there's this, I love to cook. And there's this chef, Jacques Pepin, who probably, that's how it's pronounced in Mississippi, but probably not how it's pronounced <laughs> in France. Um, and uh, he posted on, his, and he's like 80 or something now. He's ancient. And he was the, the personal chef to Charles de Gaulle, um, the French president after World War II. And uh, he, he posted the other day a quote from de Gaulle uh, that patriotism is when love of your own people comes first. Nationalism is when hate for people other than your own comes first. Mm. Nationalism is not to be confused with patriotism. So. So. I mean, and this is actually a response, this quote is even a response to um, even just a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago when um, President, it's still hard to put those two words together, right? President Trump stood up and called himself a nationalist, mm -hmm. right? He, he, he proudly declares himself a nationalist. And so this is part of what, you know, the French president's responding to and, you know, I, I admittedly struggle with, with both of them. Like I'm, um, you know, I've been, so I've been reading um, Diana Butler Bass's book, Grateful. Mm -hmm. And there are these like different areas of, you know, your natural states of gratitude and whatever. And not surprisingly, mine is the us emotional quadrant. <laughs> Um, and part of that is like you get moved by things like the national anthem, right? And she talks about this and I very much do. Like I get very moved at a room full of people standing hands over hearts, hearing this song, like the Olympics just, I mean, it just makes me weep. Like I just am like, this is so beautiful and so wonderful because to me at its best, it's a celebration of, of an us, right? Um, yeah not against them, but just of a, of a, we're behind you of a community, a large community of people. Um, but I, I struggle, um, in particularly post nine 11 society with patriotism it, because I, it feels to me more like what nationalism looks like, you know, that it felt forced. It felt, if you, you know, putting a flag up means that you believe this thing. And I never felt that way before about the flag, about standing for anthems, about, you know, um, any, in, about our military, like, and, and I'm not anti, I'm very much a pacifist, but I'm not anti-military in terms of people needed a job and a living wage and a, you know. Right this is one way to do it. I would get rid of all guns and all military. And I know that that makes me sound crazy to a lot of people, but like, that's just who I am. Um, so, so I struggle with all of it, but I do want, I do agree with the difference that they're describing. So, so is there, is there a point? Cause I'm, I'm struggling with this question too. Is there a point where in its best sense, patriotism shifts the nationalism what, what what is that point is it a, is it a slow moving turn is it a like you know we got points on a checkbox we can check off because because i i and the reason i ask this 
I'm with you, Shannon. There, there is a certain something about love of love of country, loving where you're from, um, honoring that, respecting that, being proud of that. Um, and at the same time, you know, we, we, we have that idea of self-care and we always say all self-care, all, all care begins with self-care. We got to take care of ourselves first. We got to look out, you know, for ourselves before we can really help other people. So where, where's the, where's, where's the dividing line? Where's the crossover? So my, uh, my, like a lot of families these days, my siblings and I are not in the same place politically. Um, Shocker. (laughs) Shocking. Right. (laughs) And, um, and I, I think that, so uh, I was one time in a conversation, I was talking about a a particular social issue that I thought needed to be addressed. And um, I was called unpatriotic because I was suggesting basically that something was wrong with America. And, and I said that I'm actually think I'm very patriotic because I want America to be better than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to invest in America. I want America to be the shining light on a hill or the, the, the last great hope. I mean, like, I, I want America to live up to its creed. And, um, and to me, that's like the essence of patriotism is like wanting to commit to invest in a particular place. Whereas it seems to me like nationalism is like, we're the best. Rawr. Um, right. Right. <laughs> rah, rah, rah. Rah. Yeah. 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 And do, but do we think, so, so here's a thought that occurred to me. Do we think this is because of um, the 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 one some of the subtle messages in the Bible and in the Christian or rather pre-Christian story of you know here's Israel these chosen people and 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 there was a lot of I mean when you read a, you know your stories in the Old Testament you know are we are we are we Patriot? Are, are, are we talking patriotism? Are we talking nationalism of a group of people believing they were the chosen people and Israel was the greatest nation? And do, do, do you think that influences how we feel? Not that we are that, but you know, for some reason, there seems to be this thought that we here in this country have we we've got the stranglehold on what Christianity is, and are, are we are we inadvertently picking up stuff from that? Well, I well for one thing, I just want to point out that the people who call themselves most patriotic often don't like the Jews. So there's that. There, but, there, um, there is that. Yes, good, <laughs> good point. <laughs> I just want to say, but um, you know, I mean, I think baked into the history of this country is this idea. Um, I think it was Washington. One of the founding fathers said in, a, in an address that providence has favored our undertaking. Like that, that basically that God has shined upon us um, and, and granted us this, this place. And so it was uh, er, uh, early in the history of this country was the idea that we were God's experiment, right? That like God um, put us here for a reason. And like, and I'm using quotes here, uh, but 
like we tamed the note, the savage places and we, we, um, overcame the, the godless inhabitants that lived here. Um, you know, uh, uh, Columbus even like when he was trying to get financing to come here, evangelism was one of his primary selling points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I, I just think it's baked in. I think it's part of our DNA that we are, uh, I mean, like, if you want to fight, go on Facebook and suggest that we're not the best at something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so if we're going to, if we're going to throw up air quotes, I think we should throw up air quotes around God and put sure. us here right. and also reason <laughs> like right. that whole sentence maybe. <laughs> right. So I, I, I would, I think there's a difference between calling, you know, Israel, the, the chosen nation at the time as a, an oppressed people like God's it. I, I feel like equating that to America today is, you know, in the middle of Exodus equating that to Egypt or that to Rome in the time of Jesus, you know, like we, one of our issues in my opinion as America is we have yet to accept our empire status. And yet that's a, the exact thing we're celebrating. Right. Like right. we talk about the might of our hand and then supposedly, and again, huge air quotes on Christian nation, right? Like, massive air quotes there but we supposedly go and worship this this god of (laughs) of the oppressed while being the empire nation and for some reason and we talk about this all the time like the churches that have such a nationalistic or what they might call patriotic value um don't seem to see the difference there they actually do like the things that make us empire are the things they're celebrating. And I, I don't understand where that disconnect is there. Hmm. Like I, I struggle with that as a, as a preacher, right? Like I struggle with the fact that, you know, we're, (laughs) we're not the people Jesus is talking to. We're, we're the people with power. We're the people in the big, we're Rome right here. Um, I preached Exodus not too long ago and I'm sitting there going, we're not the people fleeing the promised land. Like now I serve a predominantly white congregation also. Like, I think that that needs to be a factor in this too. Um, you know, my, my husband is from Pittsburgh and the shooting a couple weeks ago that happened in the synagogue and an article was written by, um, uh, Damon Young, who's this great writer for The Roots, um, and um, oh, I forget the name of his, uh, Very Smart Brothers, that's where mm-hmm. it is. And he, he wrote a very hard essay, and he said it was very hard for him to write that, you know, Pittsburgh is, is great if you're white. You know, this whole city came together, this whole city banded, and we're all one, and we won't, you, you won't hate here. And he goes, that's great when you're white. Like, and no matter what your, you know, nationality or ethnicity is in terms of the color of your skin, but everything else is hard. And I actually think you could, you could broaden that whole essay to the United States. Yes. And so then when you're Roman, when you're part of the Roman empire, when you're Egyptian, you're part of the, that empire, then life becomes a lot easier for you. 
if you're a stranger in that land, if you're an Israelite in that land, life gets a lot more difficult. And, and I think that's just this struggle that we constantly go back and forth with. So I think this might be a place where, uh, so I, my spiritual tradition I'm in is Mennonite. And um, the Mennonites uh, came about at the time of the Reformation, uh, like the other Protestant denominations, but we were reforming uh, a different aspect. Uh, the, the Lutheran, uh, Luther was primarily concerned about corruption in the church. And the Mennonites, or the people who would become the Mennonites, were primarily concerned about government influence in the church. Mm, interesting. Um, and so, which is why separation of church and state and pacifism and adult baptism and all of those are, are distinctives of Anabaptist Christians. Um, and so, uh, the, and, and as someone who works with a lot of mainline Christians um, who are not Anabaptist, uh, it's really interesting. The, the Mennonites I know are having debates about, like, is it, sinful for us to vote in the upcoming election um and and is it sinful for us to have a flag in front of the church building an american flag in front of the church Mm -hmm. building right and and the um and the mainline christians i know like try to take a flag out of the church building right Uh, um and, and so uh so i just think that like often you know one of the things that I think it's really easy in this country to conflate being American and being Christian. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, well, uh, I think that depends on who you're talking to. You mean from people outside of America? Cause no, no Americans, Americans. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And, There's and so, God and country, God yes. and country. Yes. Over and over again. Absolutely. And, and so, um, it, it's, it's very easy to conflate being Christian, being American. And, and, and so, uh, you know, the, and, and, but God air quotes, um, you know, it does not have a nationality. Uh, and, and, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it, it's, it's extremely obvious to me that God, if we're fish, um, America and God are like the water, right? Like, I mean, we're just swimming in it all the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, yes. You just switch metaphors so fast. I'm kind of reading, right. but uh, <laughs> it's okay. I got, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm catching up. Uh, and it's interesting you mentioned about the, about the flag. We're, we're, we're kind of struggling with that in, in my community as, as well. I think I mentioned last week, I don't remember mm-hmm. who I've told what to, but, um, yeah, yeah, we so, talked about it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, vet- veterans in my community pointed out we didn't we didn't have a flag, and they wanted to have a flag and to honor. And I, my first response was no, and but but then interestingly enough, I came around on it from from the same perspective of how I've come around with the word Christianity. I I used to avoid that word and saying that I was a Christian because it, it, it was a word that seemed to gotten hijacked by a certain loud 
minority, you know, of mm-hmm. evangelicals who had beliefs that I didn't align with. So I didn't want to be aligned with them. And, you know, then there was a whole movement in the progressive uh, uh, realm of, we got to take that word back. We got to, we got to be clear to know that there's another side to Christianity that is inclusive, that is loving, that is accepting. Um, so it's interesting that, that, you know, I kind of came around on that with the flag as well. A lot of our symbols seem to have been uh, co-opted more by, again, another really loud minority that that wants to exclude. But it also, I think, represents inclusiveness. So, right. you know, so now our, our community is kind of struggling. So I see he had, he had a funny look on his face. So when I, <laughs> what I say by that is, you know, when, when I think of my experience as an immigrant, uh, America has been for the most part for me, an inclusive experience. I was able to come here, you know, work, be educated, raise, raise a family, you know, and, and I know my experience is not everybody's experience, but for me, the flag doesn't just represent, you know, um, 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 nationalism. It's, it's, it's represented something else. For me, it represents the ideals that you refer to that, that we, should be aspiring to. So why shouldn't we have a flag there in, in the church? So we're still in debate kind of about it, but. So let me kind of, I mean, this kind of segues to our, our second, you know, question or whatever, or third question, mm-hmm. but like we, I start, I think I started the conversation, but we've been kind of dancing around this idea of like patriotism and militarism are very similar. Yeah. Like yeah. we, even when we talk about patriotism, we immediately troops come into the discussion and wars come to mind, which is where the flag discussion comes in too, right? Like the, the veterans want the flag because it means something. And, and so how, you know, how do you have that conversation? Like, do you, do you separate them? Should they be separated from, you know, war? And like, I, like I said, my, my change about the flag, my view changed very significantly after 9-11 and the, the um, call to war that happened shortly after that, you know, with, with the use of the so, flag. So he was a, as the only person in this panel right now, I believe, who has actually seen military service. Right. Uh, what, what, what are your views when it comes to, to the, the, the conflation of, of patriotism, military service, the flag, representing that well you know uh so so as a christian minister often when i tell someone i'm a christian minister in our today's secular largely secular world uh if they're trying to connect with me sometimes they'll tell me about how their grandma went to church (laughs) have y'all had that experience oh all the time no usually usually it's here's why i haven't been in church for a while right yeah yeah, give excuses. Yeah. Right. And and so um I I often find that the people who are most eager for the military to go out and kick some ass are people who themselves have not served in the military. Mm. Yes. They're really proud their granddaddy did. Right. And on Veterans Day they, you know, make his picture their profile picture. Um but uh Sherman uh, said that war is hell and that people who have who have been involved with it don't have a taste for it anymore right um the uh i 
served during wartime, but I was very fortunate. My unit went uh, to Saudi Arabia about six weeks before I was assigned to them. So I spent most of the first Gulf War cutting the Navy's grass in Pensacola. Um, I said I was going. I said I was going to write a book about my wartime experiences and call it a guide to the bars and taverns of Pensacola. <laughs> um, but nice. <laughs> that that said, um, I have friends who didn't come back, right? And I have friends who ended up with Gulf War syndrome, and uh, I have friends with PTSD, um, and and war. So I so so there's that. Uh, I'll also say that like I. Um, as there, I was joking the other day, I said, I was and being very Mennonite and it was in a, a group of Mennonites. And I said, when I was in the Marines, and then that's a phrase not many Mennonite pastors can say. Right. Um, but, uh, so I changed, right? Like, um, I grew up in a very patriotic uh, yeah. household. Mm -hmm. dad, was in the, dad was in the Air Force. My grandfather was a career Navy man. My uncle was in the Navy. Uh, it was just assumed. Mm -hmm. And and we were poor. And I wanted to go to college. And the Marines told me that if I signed here, they would teach me how to kill people. And if I survived that, they would pay for me to go to college. And, I mean, they didn't, they put it nicer than that, but that was the deal. Right. right. And um, so most of the people I know joining the military. I mean, like there's some kind of patriotic ideal sometimes, but, but it's, um, it's very complicated and you can't just assume a universal reason. I'll also say that my friend, Matt Ho, H O H, um, he was a, a, a captain in the Marines during uh, Iraq and uh, he resigned over conscience. Um, but he says that uh, people that he was never fighting for America when he was over there. He said, I was fighting to stay alive. I was fighting to keep my friends alive that I was serving with. I was fighting so I wouldn't die. But he's like, there was no like God and country. He's like, that was a narrative that the people back home needed to put on me in order to feel good about my being over there. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and you know, with all the movies and obsession that we have with world, the great war, world war two, the, the, I, I think that I don't know pre that, of course I don't, but like, I think there was a lot of glorification of that, that, has only happened in the last hundred years that this rhetoric of for freedom, right. Or, you know, we've, we've made it into some kind of Braveheart movie that this is what happens. Um, well, there was also a lot of deprivation or privation rather during world war two, you know, mm -hmm. uh, victory gardens, uh, the women going to work in the factories, like saving your aluminum foil so that they could like make bullets. Right. And so I think that there was this need, cultural need, to make it matter. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, like this has to mean something. Well, and it genuinely did bring everyone together. Everyone was doing their part, right? Right. Women were mending socks and working in factories and 
playing baseball, you know, like everybody did their part and we're so removed from war now. I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't, which I mean, thankfully, right. doesn't happen on our fields. It doesn't happen in our space and, you know, um, and if we're honest, most of our peers, like the people who are in Iraq right now are poor people. Yes, right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, the people who in an all volunteer military, the people who are serving are people for whom that was the best option. Right. And so uh, you have poor people who are, I mean, and, and it's anyway, sorry, but yeah. yeah. No, no, why? No, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, uh, and so you have basically rich white men mm-hmm. deciding that these causes are worth our poor people dying for. Yeah. Um, and, and and so yeah. Uh, no, I I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean that that was that was the subtitle of the Iraq War. I mean, right. you know, there uh, right. even uh, foresight was one thing, but in hindsight, especially, we realized that that was a pointless, uh, you know, escapade. Um, it wasn't even a war. One would argue that that we invaded the place. Um, right. And, and like, it's, it's also worth noting that that is not a particularly uniquely American phenomenon. I mean, right. the, the Muslim teenagers that are strapping bombs, bombs to themselves are mm-hmm. not the rich kids. Right. 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 right? I, I mean, the whole history of warfare is of rich people deciding which poor people should die. Right. And, and, and making, making the poor people believe to your point earlier that, that it's, it's for love of country. We're saving the country. Um, This is what we're going after. So, so, so which leads, leads me to another question then is, is war ever justified? Is it, is it ever really necessary? Um, And I, and I, and I say that in the backdrop of realizing that as a human species, this is about the least violent we've ever been as a people um, when you look back on the entire history of humanity <laughs> on, a, on a whole but still we, we still have much violence in the world not only in our neighborhoods but again on on some places on a national level i mean syria is still being torn apart you know we it, it's just they're, they're different places is 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 there for war ever justified is it ever the answer for anything Shannon. <laughs> yeah, Shannon. Oh, uh, so, you know, in, because in a my way- answer is, is no, but there's so many issues there, right? Like you're. <sighs> my answer, my answer was always no until I watched the man in the high castle on Amazon, which is that fictional account of the Nazis had won. <laughs> well, well, right. Um, so, so when I, when I, when I take that into consideration, I'm, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe. But, but cases. A, 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 a good example. I mean, a good reading of the history of Europe in the thirties, uh, like that didn't have to go down the way it went down. Right. No, no, you're, you're, you're right. That was, that was a slow moving inevitability that could have been, stopped real early before. right you know and and shape you know shades of shades of similarity here in our own country right mm-hmm. right right now right. um that being said it got to the point where it did and it probably would not have been eliminated 
that that horror that was the Third Reich if they hadn't have been a war. So, so go ahead, Shannon. I'm sorry. No, I'm 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 going to struggle my way through this. <laughs> <laughs> so, go ahead. No. So <laughs> I, I think I think. So I, I'm. I'm between two points, right? Mm. Like, um, the very practical humanist side of me recognizes that we live in a very complex world and that um, there are bad actors in the world as uh, to quote the competing from the competing uh, universe in DC, Alfred said that there are some people who just like to watch the world burn. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and as long as there are those people, um, you know, we, I think we need, we need Batman <laughs> or, or we need a billionaire to vote for like, you know, to support progressive causes. Um, but the, uh, but I think there's always going to have to be people who are willing to stand up to those people. Yeah. Now, as a Christian minister from a nonviolent Christian tradition, um, I recognize that, the better world that Jesus talked about the world as it could be the, he called it the kingdom of God. Um, in that world in that perfect idealized world, like this wouldn't happen. Um, but I, so I, and, and in my own theology is about like trying to live into that. Right. So I recognize where I come down is I recognize that war happens and sometimes war is inevitable. But I think that every time we go to war, it ultimately represents failure on our part to be yeah. the best that we could be. And, yeah. and I do feel like every time somebody asks this question and, and rightly or wrongly, right? And I say, no war is they never an the answer. And they say, but Hitler, you know, right? right. Like it's the, but Hitler, you mm -hmm. know, and I, and I get it. I really do. So I go back to a moment, um, well, several moments of, of my faith or my faith tradition story that, you know, the people, um, they wanted a, a militant or a military Messiah and God to, to overthrow governments, right? Mm -hmm. And God sends a fragile carpenter hippie roaming pastor right <laughs> on the hillsides yeah and i and i maintain a bad carpenter otherwise he would have taken up the okay. profession That's just there you go there you go and the moment that he is arrested right um is it peter draws his sword yeah and cuts off the guy's ear and jesus says basically what the hell are you doing right like you are about to start a war right now, like many one, but you're going to, you're going to fight these people. No. And I, and I just go back to that moment over and over again of like, okay, first, why does Peter have a sword? I want to know that. And like, what's going on? Of course, like on Monday, Jesus whipped some poor guy for changing money over. Right. Let's not, let's not forget that. <laughs> let's not forget that. Let's genuinely not. But that was, I, I chalked that up to temper and, 
you know, he hulked out for a moment. Right. And then, and then he went, he went, you know, he went back to his value. And I think that that whole, if we take the whole of Holy Week, we can look at the span of here's what our temperament does, but here's what our faith does. Here's what our theology does. So Jesus in the temple of the money changers, Hulk, Jesus in Hulk's the out. Gethsemane, Bruce Banner. Yes. Okay. So, He's still angry. He's always angry. Always angry. Right? Always angry. <laughs> but put your so, sword away. So in, in actually in none of the uh, recordings of the temple incident, do we have Jesus whipping any one? Any one. Right. Right. No, there's he not a one person that well, gets right. right. I mean, he has right. a whip. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, but even if he did, right. I would submit there's a world of difference yes. between beating up on some chicken peddlers in the temple and bombing a country full of brown people Absolutely. Um, who, who had nothing to do with, with, um, our situation. Um, the, uh, well, there, yes, there's a huge difference in methodology, but I would argue that, that it comes from the same place of righteous anger. Doesn't it? I mean, Jesus, Jesus was angry because he didn't agree with what was happening. And I mean, in, invariably in, in that, how all, you know, violence and wars start, people getting angry, whether they're right or wrong, getting angry because they don't like what's happening and they want to use what they have at their disposal. Jesus whipped the people. If there were air 15s around, would he have used one? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, absolutely not. And because what he was lashing out of was the symbol of creating poverty, right? Of taking advantage of people who are already impoverished. And that was he, what he was lashing out of. And he wouldn't have used tanks and guns and whatever else to do that. He wouldn't have shown up with an assault rifle and shot everybody at the temple gates. Well, and it's worth noting that wars, so, so there's always two reasons for a war, right? There's the real reason, and then there's the reason you have to sell the country in order to finance the war. Right. So, like, um, you know, the Bush administration took advantage of our righteous anger after 9-11 right. uh, to invade Afghanistan, a country that did nothing to us. Um, the All of the hijackers in 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, but took advantage of the... Um, our fervor and our righteous anger in order to uh, go to war with these people. And, and, and so, um, you know, I don't think there's ever been a war fought for a bad reason. Um, like no one has ever said there's no possible justification for us invading this country, but we're going to do it anyway. Like there's always his, um, Historically, there's always a reason or a justification. For okay, it. gotcha. You, but not right. necessarily a truthful one. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. Right. Okay. Um, you know, I think you were saying that like ten, like wars are fought over our ideals, and I don't think so. I think wars are generally fought over money. Um, and and they are then justified by other ideals. 
Well, I think definitely in our recent human history, for sure. I, I would oh, agree with that. Oh, okay. So I, I, money and power, right? Yeah. Money, power, yeah. land, right. resources. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Absolutely. Right. It's always been a, a, a differentiation of power, right? Those who have, um, I mean, like, yeah. Which is where I think the World War II rhetoric of like, we were there to save people, you know? Well, right. I mean, I, I was listening. I'm not going to get it right, but I was listening to something recently about how Americans rhetoric of world war two, the story that we tell about how we won the war for the world Mm -hmm. is very different than the reality that took place and the way the rest of the world remembers how that war. Right. Right. We, I mean, we need to be the winners, right? We, we we do. Yeah. That's a very, we don't, we don't know much about Vietnam. Like I never studied Vietnam in school because we were so ashamed of it. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and even our, in our, sorry. Go, no, I was just going to say, got our asses kicked. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, so um, please. So let me finish this thought because if we stop inappropriately, it'll sound bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> full uh, so, um, in our country's current telling of our own civil war, um, the narrative is that the North fought to free the slaves. Uh, But that was not the narrative until near the end of the civil war. Um, It was always at the beginning about keeping the union together. It wasn't until we had to justify it in our memories and justify it to our children and justify it to history books that we chose this noble purpose to describe what we were trying to do. Um, I mean, even until, I mean, Lincoln didn't even free the slaves until near the end of the war. Um, He could have done what he did with the Emancipation Proclamation on day two. Um, and, And so I, this is in no way a defense of the South, uh, just FYI. But we often, <laughs> I just yeah. want to be perfectly clear, um, the, the um, coming to you live from Mississippi. Uh, not, uh, but, we're not stopping you. We're letting you get to the end. We're not stopping thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but like, there is something in us that we have to have a noble reason for what we did, mm-hmm. right? And And early on, I think the North realized that the narrative of keeping the union together was harder to justify than the narrative of we're freeing the slaves. Um, and, and so, uh, so yeah, so all that to say is, is that just like world war two, um, you know, the, um, we had to, I mean, we could have stopped Hitler in Munich in what, 1918 or whatever. Uh, I mean, or not 19, 1928 early on anyway. Um, but, uh, but we chose not to, and then we had to find a, a justification, uh, for our actions afterwards. Right. And I think, right. I, and, and I think, you know, we're seeing to some extent that here again, whereby an, until, an, an, until it gets to the point of no return, we always assume it's going to stop before the point of no return. And then suddenly we're there and we're like, Oh crap, <laughs> we've, we passed that point. Now, now what do we do? And sometimes war is that resolution. Um, do, do you think we will ever get to a point where 
as a, as a, as a human beings, as a human species, we, we don't have the need for war, that we will not wage war, that we will be, be all pacifists or you think that's too much of a pipe dream. I think the climate will kill us before. Um, uh, right. We're going to blow ourselves up first. Right. Well, well, okay. You know, interestingly enough, I am, a. Uh, I mentioned this before going through the, um, the process of be finally becoming a citizen here. And one of the questions on the, on the form is, would you bear arms for your country? And mm-hmm. I kind of really struggled with that one. Um, in terms of, I don't know what, what, what I, I, I don't know if I would or not. So I had to think of like worst case scenarios. Let's say those Canadians finally decide to invade. Right. And, right. Um, Those damn Canadians. The, the I, for one, can- will welcome our poutine serving overlord. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we, national health care. We, right. we've, we've had enough of the U.S. about to break the world. We coming to take over, right? Uh, right. Y- y- you know, or would I, would, would I, you know, take up a gun to preserve, I don't know, my my. my family this way of life if you know i it, it's a weird way in a weird way i i had to rationalize it to the to the most extreme case which is yes if aliens invaded i would definitely take up arms if you host- Randy Quaid. exactly if hostile right. violent aliens invaded yes right. i would take up arms to you defend. would you would uh you know independence day this right i would right. independence day the crap out of it so right. so that's that's literally the rationalization I, I i had in my i had in my mind but again to hugh's point those of us who have never been in combat or never had to be put in harm's way have a very rosy view of it and, right. and are always willing to say what we will and won't do without having to be there and 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 to kind of bring full circle a little bit this is this is why you know this is why i kind of give a little bit more leeway to our veterans because because they were there they they've seen the horror they've experienced the horror in many cases they you know they when, when we look at even even now when you know, um, folks come back and um, the effects of PTSD are ruining their lives and suicide rates among veterans are like twice as much as the normal population. For me, it's like they, they have suffered more. I think they deserve more. I mean, am I reaching here or is, or is what you felt on that? I mean, you have to assume that they want you first. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, well, I, uh, maybe this is. So you're saying Ogan won't be at the head of the drafting? I'm, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> listen, man. Listen. I'm... Listen. This is my favorite. So after, after, um, so we were in the middle of getting ready to go to the second Gulf War. What was that? Operation Freedom or whatever the hell that was. Um, and I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm in my first year of seminary. I'm, I'm just um, very, very much beginning to really live in my progressive Christianity and specifically, I mean, I was always a pacifist, but specifically that area of it. 
And um, my best friend from high school through college, and he, he had just joined the Navy um, because he was a musician. And, and if you're not good enough to, you know, or not even not good enough, but like orchestra jobs are small. And he was a music major and, and naval bands and, and military bands are a great mm-hmm. job for musicians. That's, that's a good gig. And so he had just joined the Navy and he was there and he was in the Navy band and, and he, he called me and he, and I was freaking out, right? I was freaking out. And he said, Shannon, here's what I need you to know. He said, the day they call me up, they're going to call me up because I'm in the military before they call anybody else, right? the day they call me up to go fight is the day you can start panicking that the world is ending because the world is going to end. If I have to go represent the United States of America in a war, the band's got to go fight. If the band's yes. got to go. We pretty much lost already. <laughs> and honest to God, that has been my like, okay, if they brought up to fight, <laughs> yeah. we're done for. And I can panic all the way. Um, but I, I don't want to leave this conversation without, first off saying that the Bible absolutely justifies war. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't deny that at all. Um, now, the nuances of their justifications, and they put a lot of God wants us to have this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Um, but, you know, we cannot deny at all the church's um, I mean, we talked about manifest destiny, right? Like Columbus saying, this is about evangelism. Like God has given us, it is ordained that we should have this. And um, the crusades were a whole nother, you know, like the Holy land should belong to the Christians. Um, You know, just war theory was expanded um, through Augustine and, and Thomas Aquinas, right? Like, it, it, we have used Christianity over and over and over and over again to justify war. In fact, Augustine says, if it's approved as a just war, you're not even breaking the commandment of thou shalt not kill. Right. Right. And I, and I feel like that's a little bit of what we do as our country today. Right. Is that we, we need that, that, that justification that we do. This is for freedom right? This is, this is for protection. Whatever language that it is that we use, we do it to, to clear our conscience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and forget the fact that nobody's trying to come here to take anything from us. Well, and, and nobody's fighting you, right? I mean, nobody, like, like Hugh says, you know, we, um, a little bit in the pre-show, he was talking about everything's about status quo here, right? So, so just go along with it. And don't argue against it um, because this, you know, these values are more important. Um, and, and nobody wants to say out loud because my family is more important than that family. You know, um, right. nobody wants to say that out loud, but that's what you're believing. You yeah. And in, in, in many ways. And, and it gets covered up with we're so lucky to live in a country. We're so blessed so, that we have this. And in many and in many ways we at least on the surface were appear to be heading towards our recognition of ourselves as part of the global village 
and then you know a certain segment of us said oh hell no right you know and pulled us back into this whole extreme usness or americanness right the nationalism yeah if if you will but uh but I, I, I think, um, and, and I'm looking at the time, we yeah. want to wrap on this. I, I, I think that inevitably it's not a sustainable plan or approach. No man is an island. We, we can't isolate ourselves. Um, and, um, and so, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not sunk into the depths of despair about this <laughs> yet. Right. If he gets elected in 2020 again, well, you know what? <laughs> Heading back to Barbados, people. I mean, mean it this time. <laughs> well, and I just want to say, like, I think you can have pride, right? We have right. a lot of good things here. Absolutely. There can be pride in our in our country. There can be pride in the people of our country. And she lives and, in she lives in Baltimore, people. If she's saying I, that. Mm-hmm. As a Baltimore resident. Baltimore is a great city. It's a great city. Um, but yeah, if the, there can be pride in that. Now, you know, there's always sinful pride. But like there can be pride in that. And and I think part of, like Hugh had said, it's, or, or maybe Ogan, you said it, you know, it's our responsibility as prideful citizens, as as being proud of our country to question it. Yeah. Absolutely. No. You know. Yes. Hugh, that was that was all Hugh. And speaking of Hugh, as we wrap up uh, this episode, uh, tell the fair listeners what you're up to now and where people can find you, how they can support you and some of the good stuff that you are doing to make the world a better place. Well, thanks, Ogan. Uh, so uh, after 12 years, almost 12 years in Raleigh, North Carolina, of organizing um and working around issues of hunger and food insecurity. I moved this summer to Jackson, Mississippi. I'm originally from Mississippi, moved back home after 20 something years away. And um, I'm working with a small Mennonite congregation in uh, the very poor end of Jackson uh, around issues, primarily around issues of food insecurity. We're in the process of uh, developing a uh, inner an urban farm uh, so that we can help people uh, get access to food. We're going, we're looking at implementing a pay what you can uh, farm stand so that people can uh, purchase, have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, Mississippi is an agricultural state, but we import 90% of our food um, because we grow feed crops, we grow soybeans, we grow cotton, uh, and uh, the climate here lets you grow food year-round, and yet uh, virtually no one is growing any food. Right. So, um, And we notice that uh, there are one of the largest landholders in any city are the churches, uh, and so there are many churches that have acres and acres and acres of turf grass that mm. get that get wow. wonderful amounts of sunlight uh, while the people around them don't have access to food. So we're looking to partner with uh, local congregations to help turn some of that into uh, uh, food production. Nice. Yeah. So that we can, you know, in the, in the Christian tradition, there's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the thing, the way we remember that story is that people were hungry and Jesus did a miracle. 
but that's not the way the story is told. The way the story is told is people were hungry and the disciples said to Jesus, we need to do something. And Jesus said, no, you need to feed them. Right. And it was only when they didn't have enough resources that they needed a miracle. Well, we have the resources to feed people. We throw away 40% of all of our food. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we have the resources. We don't need a miracle. We just need to get to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just spent the previous week at the parliament of world religions and one of the sessions I went to was about economic disparity and what came up over and over again was the food issue, Mm -hmm. um, and how just food production and distribution has become so corporatized that we simply lost sight of what food is really all about in the first place. Right. Yeah. It's not merely enough to have access to food. I mean, just like putting, uh, you know, uh, kale at the convenience store instead of hostess cupcakes isn't going to mean that suddenly people are going to start eating better. Uh, especially if you don't know how to cook the kale, you don't have a culture that, uh, has celebrated that, like you don't, you don't have the time or the, the resources to do it. Uh, it's a, it's a much larger thing than mere access, but it's not less than that. Right. Well, um, I know Mississippi, uh, especially your family, glad to have you back nearby. And uh, thank you again, always for the good work that you do. Um, check out Hugh at HughHollowell.org. And um, if they want to find what you're doing with the Open Door, wh- where did they go for that? So open door. Uh, so we're currently working on our web presence. Uh, HughHollowell.org is the best way to find me right now. Open door has a placeholder site at opendoor.us. Okay. Um, but look at either of those two places. Uh, there's places to sign up for mailing lists and newsletters. And uh, around the first of the year, we're making a big announcement. All right. Great. Looking, looking forward to it. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to be y'all's token white guy anytime. <laughs> Anytime we, you need somebody. We, you know, as far as token white guys go, you are, you're one of the better ones. So thank right. you. Right. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that. All right. Good, good, good going. So uh, you can, again, connect with us, spread the word about our show, about Hugh and all the work he's doing on social media. Listen to us, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. Please rate us. Give us some stars. You can watch us on YouTube or IGTV. And that's Instagram TV for case you didn't know. Um, And please, please uh, find groups where you can sit, talk, create relationships with people at the Pub Theology in your town. Um, go to pubtheology.com slash directory to find one. And if there's not one in your town, you can create your own. Resources are available at pubtheology.com. And please feel free to support us at Patreon. Visit pubtheology.com to get started at all these things. Thank you again to Hugh Hollowell. And I think we're out. Later. Alrighty, that's all she wrote. Thanks, Thanks you. Yeah, it was good seeing both of y'all. Should he who shall not be named uh, get reelected, sure. um, and you do end up in Barbados again, like you're going to create an expatriate community. Absolutely, there. there's we're all going. There you go. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I, I welcome you. 
uh, Lord Kenobi, you are our only hope. Um, <laughs> like a rabbit in the springtime. Like, oh my god! Oh, all right, it was good to see you. But I do, I do have to run. I got a, I got a three thirty appointment. I got to get nine percent battery left, so we made it. Yeah, perfect. Yay. Take care, guys. All right, all see right. you later. Later. Right. Bye bye. Bye.